0: So this morning we go ahead and continue our venture into the to the book of Romans. Are you guys getting bored of the book of Romans yet? Or are you enjoying it? I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm really enjoying actually the the time I get to study in it because I've noticed that when you when you preach on a topic, I can pick something out and I get to pick the scriptures that I want to use to support the idea that I'm trying to get across, and that's great because I can really pinpoint on something and we can we can learn about that thing. But I also like when I go through the books of the Bibles because I don't, I don't get to cherry pick my scriptures. I don't get to, to leave out the ones that are tough to, to deal with, the ones that are kind of hard to explain. You know, we really got to dig into the word of God and see what's trying to be said here, even the tough scriptures. So I really enjoy going through this. Now, you remember the last couple chapters that we've gone through, uh, we've been dealing with God's sovereign choice. He has the choice if he wants to to save everybody and, and man can't tell him who he can and cannot offer his salvation to, his grace to. And then in the last chapter, chapter 10, we learned that even even still man does have to make a decision. It's man's choice to receive that free gift of God. He has to make the choice to receive salvation because it's not an automatic thing. Even the Jews thought that that uh, as, as the Jewish people, because they were descendant from Abraham, they were they were automatically in. And we'll even see today that that's not the case because there was, uh, and we've seen in the past, that the truth is that there was plenty of times that, that God stepped away from Israel as they turned their backs on him. And only a remnant remained faithful to him. So it was those, those remnant that remained faithful to him that still believed, that had faith like Abraham, that were still in the the, the good grace of God. They were, they were still being blessed by God. But the rest of them were actually being tormented. They were putting slavery in, and they were taken captive. In, and the reason being is this, as a nation, they turned from God. But it's up to the individual man to decide to receive God's free gift, to continue believing in him, placing their faith in him and it's not just a new testament thing as we've seen it's been this way since even the old testament starting from abraham because it was it was abraham's faith that it was counted as righteousness he believed god and that was counted as righteousness so now as we get into chapter 11 paul begins to to deal with With uh, well, if that's the case, if salvation has been extended to the to the Jews and the the the, or sorry to the Gentiles and the Jews have kind of been pushed back a little bit, what is the fate of the of the Gent of the Jews? Has God just turned his back on the Jews? Have they have they been just completely removed from the promises of God? And the truth is that's that's not the case. The truth is that God, somebody does. God still has a plan. God still has a uh, a plan for the Jews. Still has a purpose for the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. And we're going to look at that in today as as we go through the scriptures. Let's start with our our first verse. First verse. That's what happens when I try to learn Spanish. My Bs try to be Vs and Iv. All right. So. Romans 11, 1 through five says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there is also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. See, the truth is that the inclusion of the Gentiles was not an exclusion of the Jews to the promises of God. God did not reject them outright because of, of, uh, of their disbelief. They, he actually rejected the individuals because of their disbelief, and as a nation... God began to extend salvation to a people that would listen. Because as a nation they rejected Jesus, they they actually sent him to the cross, God extended grace and salvation to the Gentiles. But the truth is that even still, they could be saved by the same faith that the Gentiles were being saved by as well. The Jews alone, matter of fact, that's the remnant that he's talking about, because like Paul, Paul is, is one of the remnant. 'Cause he says that uh, and we know that Paul, he was he was a good Jew. He was a Pharisee of the of the highest stature and the highest class. Matter of fact we see in Acts twenty six, Paul says that uh, since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. What Paul's is saying is is that that I did it, I mean I crossed every T, I dotted every I, I was living according to the law, you know, better than anybody else. It was to the strictest sect that I was living that way. And then in Philippians three, five through six, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church and as to righteousness, which is in the law found blameless. Paul basically said that I did it all right. This is who I, I mean, as far as Paul was concerned in the beginning, we saw that he persecuted the church just like everybody else. Paul was one of the ones that was, so, was against Jesus. He, this isn't how it is. We're, we're righteous because of the law. But by faith, as Jesus touched him on the road to Damascus, by faith he chose to believe in Jesus. And he received salvation just the same as the Gentiles. And we find out that, that uh, there's the remnant, remnant that is kept back as he speaks here. In the same way that there's also come to be a present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice, there is a remnant of of Jewish people that believe in Jesus Christ. And even to this day, we see that there are certain uh, portions of the Jewish religion that still believe in Jesus Christ. There is still a remnant to this day, but as a whole, the nation has turned their back on Jesus. And that's still to this day as well. As a a whole, uh, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, does not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. We also find that in First 1 Timothy 1.16 that, that Paul says that his, his conversion, his salvation, would be a demonstration to all of those who would believe in Christ. In First 1 Timothy 1.16 he says, Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him. And when he's talking about his perfect patience there, it says we know that that Paul was a bad dude, according to the Christian church. I mean, he was killing them, tearing them out of their homes, putting them to death. We know that we have one case that when when, uh, Thomas was killed, he held the coats of everybody so they could stone Thomas. You know, so they get a good throw and pull the jacket out of the way, so they get a good swing of the stone at Thomas. He was part of that. He said, but this is... Christ could demonstrate his perfect patience in me. Basically, if God could, could still save me, he can save all of you. There's nothing any of you have done that is worse than what I've done. So the second example that he uses to show that uh, the Jewish people can be, could be saved as well, the first was his own testimony. The second was this, this, uh, this story about Elijah. And in this, this uh, basically a similar situation in the Old Testament is what we're coming to now. I, Elijah was complaining that he alone was left that honored God, that worshiped God. Basically, all of Israel has turned their back on God, much like they were doing right now as they turned their back on Jesus. But God says to, to Elijah, no, you're not the only one left. I have saved myself a remnant 7000 men have not bowed the knee to Baal. These are 7000 men that still believed on the Lord. They still believed in God and it was their faith that still made them righteous. So we show a, a couple we see a couple of things from this story one is that being the nation of Israel being a Jew does not guarantee your salvation does not guarantee that you're still on the promises of God. As we see here we only have 7,001 men that are still in the uh, promises of God because the rest of the nation has been turned away. And we find that uh, more than once. I mean, we find that, that when the Jews were taken captive in, in Egypt and then once again by in uh, Babylon they're taken captive again, we find this over and over. But God always keeps a remnant. There's always a, a portion of people that still believe in Him for, in the nation of Israel. And Paul goes on to say that in the same way, As this has been repeated time and time again, there's still a remnant now. The nation of Israel, the Jewish people have not been rejected by God. Romans 11.6 says, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What Paul's saying is that the remnant that was saved, the last few people, the the people that are going to be with him, they're not saved based on what they've done or what they have accomplished. But strictly by grace, by the free gift of God. And the great thing is this is the same grace is extended to you and I. This is the reason that that we're included as well. The reason why we're grafted into this to this olive tree, which we'll read about later, is, is because of the same grace God has extended to, to each and every one of us. And and Paul is once again that perfect example. It's not based on what you did, because how many know that if God was looking at what Paul did, how Paul persecuted the church, how Paul was persecuting the Christians? How many know that if we were doing it based on, on uh, what we've done, that's probably instant disqualification, you know? How many know that the people that put Jesus to the cross, probably instant disqualification if it was based on what you did? And truthfully, sin is sin. I mean, When you turn your back on God, how many know that uh, you cussed out your boss one time? Probably instant disqualification. Any number of sin is an instant disqualification according to, to the law, according to what the requirements of righteousness of, of in and of ourselves, right? But the truth is by God's grace and by accepting the free gift of Christ, it's not based on our accomplishment, but it's by grace. And it's so important that we understand that because if it was by what we did, then we could boast, we could, we could say, hey, you're pretty cool, God, but look what, I, look what I pulled off. Look how good of a life I lived, You know, if it's, if it's, uh, remember back in Romans 4, 4, Paul said, now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. You know, if you did everything right yourself, you could say that you owe me this God. You, I mean that, can you imagine going to God and telling God how he owed you something? But that's what the idea is. If, if, if we could earn it, that's basically what you're doing. I mean, I have no problem going to my boss and saying, I worked 40 hours this week. You owe me my paycheck, but that's not how we go to God. Ephesians, Ephesians two eight nine says "For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. it is the gift of God and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. you know we don't have the opportunity to boast to God or to anyone to anybody else in the congregation or to any, I mean we can 't boast to anybody, and yeah, the other reason I 'm going to heaven because I was so good, you know if, if you would just pick it up a little bit, you could probably go too. but how many you know that there's actually you know we laugh about that but the, the truth is that's kind of the idea of the people have in a, in a lot of places and a lot of, you know, there's other religions and other churches that they have this works based mentality that you have to be good enough to make it into heaven. Now I thank God. It's not what we do that gets us into heaven, but it's actually what God has done inside of us. Our faith in him that changes on the inside that actually allows us to live a good life, to live a godly life. You know, we've talked about it before. It's uh Grace is not the same as license. We don't have a license to sin. We actually have a license to live a holy life now because we couldn't do it before. And the great thing about grace, too, is that because our salvation is a result of grace, we can be assured that God is not ever going to change his mind based on something that we do. Our salvation is given not based on, Matter of fact, he knew everything that you did, which I'm sure is, is enough to disqualify every of us if we look back at our life. Even the young of us, youngest of us can look back and go, yeah, that probably wasn't the best thing that I ever did. And he knows everything that you're going to do in your future. And, and you know, I, I thank God there's, you know, we have the opportunity to live a sinless life from here on out. But the truth is, most of us won't. Most of us will fall. And I thank God that the word of God says that if the righteous man stumbles seven times, but he gets back up seven times. No matter as long as we get back up, we're okay. We're considered righteous. We're we're in we're in right standing with God. But the truth is that we'll probably mess up in the future, and that would be enough to disqualify us. But it's not based on that. And that's the great thing about grace. There's a story of a an elderly grandfather, a very wealthy man, but he's getting kind of old and he can't hear very well and He finally gets tired of not being able to hear anybody and he goes to the pharmacy and and he orders a new hearing aid. And he puts it in and he goes home and, and praise God, he can hear again. He can hear everything everybody's saying. And then he goes back to the pharmacy about a, a week later and says, Hey, this is amazing. I put this in and I can hear everybody. I've been sitting around the house just listening to everybody. It's awesome. And the pharmacist goes, wow, your family must be, must be really great that they can communicate with you again and that you can hear them. And he goes, oh, I haven't told them yet. I've just been sitting around listening. He says, I've changed my will three times since then. <laughs> See, I thank God that that's not, how, I thank God that's not how he views us. He doesn't sit around waiting for us to mess up. Amen? Amen. See, the truth is that Israel was always trying to please God by their works. They were always trying to establish their own righteousness. As a matter of fact, if you remember in Romans chapter 10, just last week, it says, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. You know, they were trying to do it on their own. They've always tried to do it on their own based on the law. But the truth is that that God extends it to us by grace. The nation refused to submit to Christ's righteousness, just as religious, self-righteous people refuse to submit today. You know, there's plenty of people that do the same thing today. But I thank God that uh, we can accept His righteousness, and it's not based on anything that we can do. In Romans 11:7 through 10 it says, What then, what Israel is seeking, it is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened, to see not, and bend their backs forever." See, Paul goes on to say that as a whole, as a nation, what they were seeking was righteousness, but they have not obtained it. Like we said, they're always trying to, to obtain righteousness based on what they were doing. They, they were searching for it. They had a zeal for God. This is what they wanted. They wanted to serve God. They wanted to be righteous. But they were just going about it the wrong way. So we find out there's, there's two groups of people in Israel at this point in time. There's those who were chosen obtained it, and this means those who were chosen were those who, who believed on God and received the grace of God. And there were those who were hardened because they chose not to believe. They they let what was going on harden their hearts. And like we talked about before, the example that I've used before is your is your kid. If you if you go up and tell them to clean their room and they ignore you and do whatever they want, and you can say that their hearts were hardened. And you could even say that you hardened your heart. You hardened their heart because you told them to go do this. But how many know it was still their decision? They could have responded in a completely different way to what you asked them to do. Right here in verse 9 where it says, David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. What he's talking about is, is uh, those are the blessings that God had already bestowed on the Jewish people. The very thing that should have pointed them to Jesus was what they were holding on to their traditions that wouldn't let them look to Jesus as their Savior. All the prophecy, prophecies and scriptures that guided them to Jesus. The law, they received the law, which was, a, which was basically giving them the requirement, and once again, the law, the books of the law pointed to Jesus. And matter of fact, the fact that they were his chosen people, actually became a snare to them because they, there was some pride going on, there was stuff going on that they thought that they could do it themselves. It's an, ama- you know, it's an amazing thing that the very things that should have led them and pointed them towards Christ, that they should have been able to look in the Scriptures and see the prophecies pointing to Him, all those very things that they received actually became a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. And because of this, because they were so caught up in their own traditions and their, their own way of doing things and how they, they interpreted the law and what they were doing in their lives, they, it actually became a hardening of their heart. It says that they had eyes that they had eyes to see not, and they had ears to hear not. I mean they, they had the eyes to see what they should have saw and the ears to hear what they should have hear. But instead, because of their hardened heart, because they chose not to, to believe God, and they were trying to do it instead of based on faith, based on, on who they were as a nation, based on their, their relationship to Abraham and the patriarchs, that they could do it on their own. And the truth is that we see very similar situations in, in false religions today. We look at religions that are, that are so close to the real thing, and they have these things that are pretty close to, to Christianity, and, and, and some of them even even use the same names, even though it's not the same people in their religion. But it's so close to the real thing that when you try to, to express the gospel to them, to tell them the truth of the gospel, they're hardened because they're, they're stuck to what they currently have. And what they currently have, what they're currently living by, which, the, which they perceive to be good enough, is actually a stumbling block to them from receiving True salvation from Jesus Christ. Romans eleven eleven, Paul says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. See, the truth is, the Jews stumbling, the stumbling that they're going through right now, did not result in a permanent fall. The point here is not that they, they fell down and they would never get back up, but it was, it was a stumble, not a falling. And it's not the end of them because God's grace is extended to them, to them as well. If they would just unharden their hearts and receive it, that's what Paul is saying is if they would just unharden their hearts and receive it, God's grace would still be extended to them. But something that did happen as a result of their stumble is that the, the Gentiles were offered salvation. Basically, God said, if you guys won't receive it, I'll offer it to people who will. And the Gentiles began to accept God's grace. They began to be added to the church. They were being saved. And the truth is that God turning the, turning the Gentiles now is not the first time that he has backed away from the Jews when they hardened themselves. And remember, as, as we go through this, this entire book, when, we, when we're talking about the Jews, we're not talking about individual people. We're talking about the nation as a whole. Same as the Gentiles. We're talking about the entire, entire basically everybody who's not Jews, the rest of the people. But it says, as a, as a whole, the Jewish nation hardened themselves to him, and, and we find that, like we talked earlier, they were put in captivity many times because they, they put up altars, and they, put up, and they began to worship other gods, and they turned their back on God. And as a result, when you push God away, how many know that things are going to happen in your life? Things are going to change. If you push God away, if you make that choice stuff that's not so great will probably happen in your life. And for the Jewish people, God backed away and basically, if you're not going to listen to me, see what the world has to offer. And the, the Babylonians took them into captivity and the Egyptians took them into captivity and, and there were some bad times in the Jewish people's life because they refused to honor and worship God and to keep their faith in Him. Instead, they began to put their faith in other things. And truthfully... This happening was actually foretold in Scripture. In Deuteronomy thirty-two twenty-one, verse 21, it says, They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Basically, God was saying, this was going to happen. They were going to provoke me, and and he was going to go to the Gentiles. And the truth is, we find out that here that that part of the purpose of us receiving the gospel was to make the Jews jealous. God, These were God's chosen people. He wanted them to still be a part of this. Now I do wanna be clear that, that uh, salvation was not offered to the Gentiles solely for this purpose. We're not, uh, the, the primary purpose was so that we could be included in. Matter of fact, it's been foretold in scripture that, uh, that we would be included. In Hosea 2.23, it says, I will show her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who would not obtain compassion. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. This wasn't a last minute, spur of the moment thing to, uh, to make them jealous, and that's the only purpose of it. God has always planned for the Gentiles to be part of his kingdom. Isaiah 56, 6-7 says also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be a, called the house of prayer for all the peoples. The Gentiles have always been included in God's plan. But as far as the Jews are concerned, our primary purpose is to provoke them to jealousy. And like I said, that's not our, our primary purpose. We're not uh, we're not just God's rebound, or we're not just the the girl that you you hold hands in front of your ex to make him jealous. I was <laughs> I was reading on on Pinterest this this girl goes. I was walking in I was walking around in Target, and this boy walks up to me and goes, "I just saw my my uh, ex." Uh, girlfriend and her new boyfriend walk in the store, would you just hold hands with me for a little while so I can make them jealous? <laughs> the worst part is, she goes, so I walked around the store holding hands with them, and then I began to realize there was nobody else in the store but us. Must have been the greatest pickup line ever. <laughs> but that, that's, not our, that's not our sole purpose. We, God always had a plan for us to be in the kingdom of heaven. But the truth is that he was going to use that to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. It's not going to be like the, the girl in the, the, the store as soon as, as soon as he's done using the girl to provoke someone to jealousy that she's pushed off to the wayside. You know, the truth is that, that if the Jews all came back today, God would not be done with us. We're still included in. We're still a part of God's kingdom. Romans eleven twelve through 15 says, Now if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? The truth is that, as we've seen through this whole chapter, Paul had a heart for his countrymen, his his fellow Jewish uh, brothers and sisters. He wanted very badly for the Jews to be saved, to be the same as him. Matter of fact, we find out when he was talking to, I believe it was King Agrippa, he says that I wish all my brethren were as I, except not in chains. He wanted them all to be saved. But he also understood that if by their failure, such great things were accomplished, by their stumbling, the world is riches for the Gentiles. Riches for the world, riches for the Gentiles, by their stumbling, how much more so that if if what was supposed to be their fulfillment, them, them accepting Jesus as, as a nation, how much more so would, would that bring? How much more power would that bring? How much more would be accomplished? But then he goes on to address the Gentiles. Primarily Paul's been addressing the Jews in the book of Romans. Now he turns his attention to the Gentiles. Now he's speaking to them and he says, but I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. What Paul is saying is that that uh, at this time I primarily am ministering to the Gentiles. matter of fact, we'll find out that... Uh, uh, later we'll find out that Paul has turned, basically tries to preach to the, to, the, to the Jews, gets frustrated and says, you know what, I'm going back to the Gentiles, at least they'll listen to me. The, at least three times in the book of Acts he does this. But the truth is that here he says to the Gentiles, I'm an apostle to you guys. This is what my, my purpose is. Christ has called me to the Gentiles. But he says I magnify my ministry. Basically, I make a big deal of my ministry. I make it well known so that the Jews will hear about it. I want them to know that I'm ministering to you because if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. Paul understood what he was doing. Matter of fact, Paul ministered to the Gentiles in an effort to make the Jews jealous so that his fellow, and he didn't do this out of of a vindictive heart. He wasn't trying to make them feel bad and show them up, but he, he wanted them to come back to God. He wanted them to accept Jesus. So the question I ask now is if the Jews were to walk into our service now would they be provoked to jealousy would they see that we have spiritual blessings that the Jewish people no longer have that would they see that that God is touching the Gentiles in a way that he's not touching the the Jewish people right now the nation of Israel the truth is their rec- their rejection brought reconciliation to the world because they rejected Jesus God used that opportunity to offer it to the rest of the world but their, their acceptance would bring themselves out of death and into life. And we know that when people come home, when people come home to the kingdom of heaven, there's rejoicing. And Luke 15:24 it says, "For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again, he was lost and has been found." and they began to celebrate. And then later on in Luke 15 verse 32, he says, "But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, He was lost." and has been found. You know, this is the, in the book of Luke, this is the story of the prodigal son who took off and and squandered all of his father's wealth, but he came home expecting to be put into slavery by his father, but instead his father opened him with open arms, and the same is for the Jewish people. They may have hardened their hearts, but I want you to know that they have the same opportunity to return to him, to accept the same salvation that we have, and there will be great rejoicing in heaven, just as there was great rejoicing in heaven when each one of you turned to the Lord. Romans eleven sixteen 16-18 says, If the first piece of the dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and became partaker with them at the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root who supports you. Now, as we begin to dig into this olive tree, what, what what is being referred to as the olive tree is not the church of Christ, but it's actually... The, the, uh, the, the kingdom of, of God through Abraham. Abraham is considered the, the root of the olive tree and the, the patriarchs of the, the Old Testament uh, church or the Old Testament nation, the nation of Israel, the, basically the children of God, is what we're dealing with here, is this olive tree, the children of God that were descendant from Abraham. But we'll find as we're grafted in, it's not so much the physical descendants, but it's the spiritual descendants of Abraham, the, the spiritual children of Abraham, which is, is what we're grafted into, is that, that kingdom that was, that was blessed by God. And he first starts off here, he says, if the first piece of the dough is holy, the lump is also. And this is a, a reference to the, to the book of Numbers where it's talking about when they would, when they would make their, their lump of, 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 uh, of dough, they would, uh, they would make a cake with a small part and offer it up to God. And God would accept that, and that would actually make the entire lump holy. And they used to do it with the, the first sheath of their harvest. They would offer that sheath up to God, and, and in essence, God would accept it, and they would consider the entire crop holy, and that's what's happening here. And what he's talking about is, is with Abraham, he was the, he was the first lump. He was the, the first, sorry, he was the first piece of dough that made the lump holy. It was, it was by his faith that Abraham was considered righteousness. And the promises of God to his, to the, his descendants that made the, the nation of Israel was passed on through him because of his faithfulness. And as we know, that, as we've learned now, that it's not just because you are a physical descendant of Abraham that you inherit these promises, but rather that, that you are a, a children by faith. The Bible says that that God could raise children of Abraham from the rocks if he wanted to. So it is by faith that we are grafted into this olive tree. So the point that we're getting at is he's trying to deal with some arrogance with the the Gentiles at the time. They were basically kind of trying to lord it over the Jews. Yeah, now he likes us and not you anymore. But Paul's saying, you know, you need not to be arrogant. Remember, where this salvation came from, it actually originated from the Jews. Matter of fact, Jesus said that salvation is from the Jews. And this is what he's talking about. As they rejected Christ and it was offered to the Gentiles, it is actually from this olive tree. from Salvation came from what was originally offered to the Jews, the, the kingdom of heaven, the children of Abraham, and now who we are grafted in spiritually. And then we find that the, he begins to talk about that olive tree and that life flows from that olive tree. Life actually flows from the, the chosen people of God, the children of God, the children of Abraham. This is where it all starts. You see, if we look at the nation of Israel in regards to these arguments, the first piece of the dough is holy, the lump is also, and the root is holy, the branches are too. It's like I just told you about. If we look at the nation of Israel and compare them to these things, it's, it's what he's talking about is the patriarchs and Abraham were the original ones that God accepted. And that flowed down into the branches, which would be the individual people, or the individual Jewish people. And then we see that Paul is comparing the people of Israel to the branches, and by hardening their hearts, they were effectively broken off from the tree. It so says some of the branches were broken off from that olive tree from the, because of their hardening of heart. The truth is that being a physical descendant of Abraham wasn't enough. Even in this case, if we use the, the tree as an example, being a fizzled, fizzle, a physical <laughs> descendant, you know, physically growing from the tree is not enough because, because of their hardening of heart, their unbelief, they were actually broken off from the tree. And we find out that that we were the wild olive trees being grafted in among them. As I was learning about this, it was actually a, tr- a practice that they used. They would grow olive trees. And if an olive tree was having problems or was not bearing enough fruit, they would actually go and take a young sapling, a young olive tree, and graft it in to the, to the original olive tree to help it grow stronger. And that's why he's using this analogy. But he says that, that you were grafted in among them and became a partaker of the rich root of the altar. Basically, we got to become a partaker of what they had because we were grafted in. So that's why Paul says. He begins to caution their behavior towards the, to the Jews, the Gentiles' behavior towards the Jews. He says, they're not to be arrogant for being chosen to be grafted in. And then we have no reason to boast because it is actually by grace that we're allowed in, not by anything that we've done. Then we find in Romans 11:19 through 22, it says, You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. But if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. See, the problem is, is that Paul was dealing with some pride that was going on in the Gentiles. And as we know, that pride can be a dangerous thing. If they're arrogant to the Jews talking about how great it is that they've been at in and God chose them, he says, you do well to remember that it was by grace and that you have nothing to boast about. You guys heard the story of there's a minister, a boy scout, and a, uh, a computer expert were on, a, on an airplane and they were going over the sea and the, the pilot comes back and says, the engines are going down, there's nothing that we can do. He says, but you know what? The pilot goes, we have a problem. There's four of us on this plane. There's the boy scout, the preacher, the computer expert, and the pilot. There's four of us on this plane, but we only have three parachutes. And the pilot goes, you know what? I have a wife and three kids, so I think I should get one of the parachutes. So he throws on and he jumps out of the plane. And the computer expert stands up and he goes, you know what? I'm one of the smartest men alive, and the world would, would not do well without me. I'm one of the smartest men alive, and I think that it's important that I be saved. And he grabs a parachute, and he jumps out of the plane. Well, the, the old preacher looks to the young boy scout, and he says, You know what? I've lived a long, a long uh, healthy life. I've done a lot of things for the kingdom of heaven. You've got so much of your life left. Why don't you go ahead and take the last parachute? And the boy scout goes, I don't worry about it, preacher. The smartest man in the world just jumped off the airplane with my backpack. <laughs> You see, pride can get you in trouble. The smartest man in the world jumped off of the backpack. <laughs> you know, Paul's wanting to deal with this before it becomes a problem. He begins to talk about the kindness and the severity of God. God's kindness is extended to us if we will just accept it. However, if we don't believe, and the truth is, if you don't believe before you, for you, for you die, before you pass on, there's severity in that decision. Do you guys remember the story of uh, uh, the, the rich man and Lazarus? Luke sixteen nineteen through 26. It says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at the gate, covered with sores, and longed to be fed with crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, so that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things? But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that none... So that those who wish to come over from here, you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. That decision to harden your heart and not and not receive Jesus is a is a permanent decision. It's you know the the Bible says here that it's a it's a permanent uh, chasm. There's no way to make it across. So we have an opportunity now to receive the kindness of God, but there is severity if we do not. We also find that there can be there's a danger in thinking that uh, once you're saved you can never lose it. And I want to be real clear with this when I, when I talk about this because it's a dangerous turf to walk on. When I say that you're able to lose it, what I mean is if you harden your heart to God once again, if you turn your back on God, I want to be very clear, I'm not talking about if you have a bad day that you lose your salvation. I'm not talking about that if you stumble, you lose your salvation. I'm not talking about someone being able to steal it from you. But the truth is that you can turn and walk away from God just as He freely gave it to you, you can freely give it back. In Hebrews 6, 4-6, it says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. What Paul's saying there in the book of Hebrews is that if you, if you fall away, if you turn your back on God, that it's impossible again to renew you to repentance in the state that you're in right then. Because he says you've openly put Christ to shame, you're crucifying again. What he's basically saying is that, that you're doing just like the Jewish people did. You're rejecting Christ and putting him on the cross. And obviously you're not physically doing, but it's the same heart attitude that the Jews had at the time with a hardened heart. And the only way to be renewed to, to, to repentance is to get rid of that hardened heart. The truth is that if we uh, if we turn our backs on God and we harden our heart to His His Son and His salvation, that you know, in essence, you can lose your salvation. The Bible says that you have to continue in His kindness. But like I said, I just want to make it clear: this is not about it's not a matter of messing up. It's not a matter of having a bad day. You're not going to lose your salvation that way if your faith is in Christ, no matter what happens then your salvation is secure. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that that we can be sure in our salvation. We don't have to guess and wonder. If your faith is in Christ, you are saved. And it's only by not having faith in Christ, whether you never had it in the first place or sometime down the road you become offended and you turn your back on God, that you're worrying about the severity of God instead of His kindness. Amen? Everybody clear on that? I've not made any mistake in putting that across. (laughs) Romans 11:23 through 24, it says, You will say then, branches... Oops, that's not what it says. Romans 11:23 through 24 says, And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted contrary to nature in a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So that... A, that uh, uh, analogy he's using again of the the wild tree and the cultivated olive tree. The Jews, even though they were removed for their unbelief, can also be grafted back in once again if they'll just unharden their hearts and believe. Once again, he's letting him know you shouldn't be boasting in what God has given you because just if God could graft you in contrary to nature, if God could graft you in who wasn't supposed to be there in the first place, how much more so could He graft in the people that were supposed to be there in the first place if they'll just unharden their hearts. Romans 11:25 25-27 says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, The Deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins." See, for the time being, God's kindness has been turned towards the Gentiles, been torn towards us because they turned their backs on him. And in the meantime, we have the great commission to fulfill. What it's talking about right here, it says that the, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, is until we preach the gospel to all the world. We have a job to do. We're just learning from Pastor Mike. He went to a conference uh, on Saturday that in 1900, the turn of the century, 78% of the world had not heard the gospel of Jesus. Today, only 34% have not heard the gospel of Jesus. We're making headway. And the truth is, at the rate we're going right now, ministering to everybody, uh, we learned that uh, we're beating the population, the population curve. So if we keep going as we're going now, we're actually reaching more people than are being born. turns out that there's 50,000 people a day being born in India, just India alone. Every day, 50,000 people are being added. But we're beating that, that population curve. But if we keep going at the rate that we're going, it'll be 300 years till everybody has heard the gospel. The truth is, we need to pick it up. I mean... It's like Pastor Drone used to tell us <laughs> he just married off his daughter not too long ago but he kept, every time he came and preached to us he goes, you guys need to get out there preaching so the whole world hears before I have to give my daughter's hand away in marriage. <laughs> I want Jesus to come back before then. I'd like to extend the same thing to you guys so I don't have to see my daughter's married off. Let's get preaching. Why aren't you smiling, Haley? <laughs> Praise God. And here he's talking about, once again, the nation of Israel turning back to God, turning back to Jesus. says, so Scripture indicates that at this time, once we finally preach to the whole world, that, that the Jewish people will begin to turn to see God. There's going to be an unhardening of their hearts as they, as they begin to come to, to Jesus. But the truth is, right now, I don't know when this survey was taken but it was a survey in Tel Aviv of religious practices, and Tel Aviv is in Israel. It says the practices and attitudes of Israel revealed that only 8% of those questioned considered themselves unreservedly religious and attended a synagogue daily. 26% said they never enter a synagogue, and 13% said they visit a synagogue only once a year. Right now, Israel, the Jewish people, are kind of in a hard place. They're not honoring God as they should, much like it's happened in, in different times throughout history. But there will become a time that Israel, God's not done with Israel. And that's what Paul's getting at is God's not done with the Jews. There'll be a come time that they turn back to him. Romans 11:28 28-32, it says, From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient in God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so those also now become disobedient. That because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. See, the reason the, the Jews are the enemies that he's talking about right here is, is, is because of their hostility towards the gospel. But Paul's making it clear that even though that they're in this place, that they're still loved by God. And the truth is, this is a, in the nature of God. We see it all over. God, God doesn't hate us because we do stupid things, because we're, we're doing, even when you turn your back on God, he still loves you. And the truth is that the Jewish people are still loved by God no matter what they're doing right now. And he says that this is is, uh, because they're beloved for the sake of their fathers. God made promises to Abraham and the patriarchs, and he intends to keep them to the Jewish people. They're not cut off. And Paul keeps going on and says that for just as you once were in disobedience, talking about the Gentiles who were living in disobedience, were shown mercy because of their disobedience, God is now going to be able to offer them that same mercy because he offered mercy to us in our disobedience. He can now offer mercy to the Jewish people in their disobedience. The truth is that we're all shown mercy, Jews and Gentiles, because we've all been disobedient. We've all been in the same place. That's what he's saying here, that he has shut us up all in disobedience that he may show mercy to all. See, God is not a God of... Uh, uh, of choosiness, you know, he's, he's not a God who shows mercy to one and ignores the other, but he is not a respecter of person. And he's going to offer the same thing to all of us, because truthfully, we're all in the same boat, lost without him. We're going to go ahead and end on this scripture here, the last one in Romans. Romans eleven thirty three 33-36 says, "...Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways!" For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him, that it might be paid back to him again? Far from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You know, Paul right here is doing what I often do when I look at uh, what God is doing, and what God has done, and the way that he has done things. Much like when Christmas, I I took the time to look at what a strange way to save the world and how we look at God's ways and we're like, man, these are just not the way we would have done it. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, The depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? You know, we look at what God did through the Jewish people to include the Gentiles, but also to be able to include the Jews back in again, you know, God always does things in such a way that he doesn't compromise who he is, but still finds a way to include us all. The truth is that, that He is an incredibly amazing God who loves us so much that his plan and purpose has always been for all of us to be included in his love, to be children of God, to be loved by him, to receive his grace and mercy and forgiveness and to be made brand new. And I want to say along with Paul, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen? Praise God. Let's go ahead and uh, stand to our feet.